Welcome to Menu Stories, a podcast where we get to know the stories about the people and restaurants behind the food we love. I'm your host, Rebecca Goberstein. Today, we get to know the story behind the first commercial craft brewery that's ever appeared on Menu Stories, Drake's Brewing Company in San Leandro, California. The history of craft beer is a relatively new one. As early as the 70s, no one really thought of American beer as anything other than lager. With the federal legalization of home brewing in 1978, new doors were opened in the beverage industry. Innovative ownership came to Anchorstein Brewing Company, which jump-started the microbrewing industry, followed by the launch of Sierra Nevada Brewing Company in my hometown, Chico, California. Not too long after, the East Bay's own Drake's Brewing Company was born. In the 1980s and early 90s, these fledgling breweries were still mostly distributing only to a small radius around them, and they had no idea that they were about to change the landscape of American beer forever. In this episode, we meet head brewer Chris Dunstan, a one-time home brewer in his own right. Let's have a listen. I'm here with Chris Dunstan, head brewer of Drake's Brewing Company. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Would you mind introducing yourself and your role? Yeah, my name is Chris Dunson. I'm the head brewer here at Drake's Brewing Company. My job is basically kind of running the production department and keeping beer coming out of the brewery. Sounds like a fun job. It's not bad. Could you also describe what Drake's Brewing Company is? Drake's is a brewery that has a lot of history behind it. It kind of embodies the East Bay kind of do-it-yourself spirit, maybe a little bit gritty. We like to say gritty, not pretty. We're really known for a lot of innovation, but on top of kind of a solid foundation of tradition as well. What do you mean by that when you say that? Well, we do a lot of classic styles. We have beers that we've been doing for a long time, um, but we're always pushing the boundary, doing new styles of beer, stepping outside our comfort zone, trying to experiment with new materials, uh, whether it's new hops or new malts or, or other novel ingredients to make a new experience for the for the beer drinker. So what are kind of the traditional beers that a microbrewery would produce and how does that differ, if at all, with what Drake's Brewing Company produces as the standard? You might tend to see your blonde, a pale, an IPA, an amber, a porter, something like that. So we do a lot of these traditional styles, but at the same time, our pale ale has a bit of a different spin on it. It's hoppier than most pale ales, especially at the time that it came out. And we're doing new styles, whether they're IPAs with um, fruit or other ingredients. So Northern California obviously played and continues to play a huge part in the microbrewery and the craft beer movement that's kind of booming right now. So maybe we could take a moment to kind of look back at the the history of it. I was doing some research and it sounds like Anchor Steam was a huge player in kicking off that movement by sort of taking what that brewery was and sort of bringing it back from the dead and turning it into a specialty and micro beer producer. And then soon after, New Albion and Sierra Nevada started. But then pretty quickly after that, Drake's Brewing Company came about in 1989. And so the 70s and 80s were really in Northern California where craft beer began. Can you speak a little bit more to that history and the role Drake's played then and the role that it plays now? Yeah. As you noted, the 70s was sort of the the genesis of this, I guess. At the end of the 70s, there were still only maybe 44 breweries in the country. By the end of the 70s, homebrewing had been legalized. So there were a lot of people who came out of this homebrewing tradition interested in starting their own breweries. Anchor was one of the, the early ones, which is an older brewery. 
but kind of revitalized. And at a time when in the 70s, it was a lot of, you know, domestic light beer, that kind of thing. And Anchor was making this traditional style. And I struggled with it at first, but eventually kind of found a niche and it ended up inspiring a lot of other people. You mentioned Sierra Nevada. They started in 1980. And that was kind of like the beginning, especially in the early 80s of a lot of the breweries who are bigger now. And it's interesting to kind of look back on that history and realize how small it was. A lot of these people seem kind of like giants now, but uh, these guys all knew each other. They were all involved in knew who was planning this brewery or knew this guy from over here or whatever. And so the older 80s generation brewery owners and operators uh, were all kind of acquaintances, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, So John Martin started Triple Rock Brewery in Berkeley in 1985. And he had a brewer there named Roger Lind for a short period of time. And, you know, they were buddies or something on some level. And he came down here to San Leandro with him to check out this location. Um, in 1989, Roger was able to start Lind Brewing Company down here. And even though it was Lind Brewing Company named after himself, he named all his beers after Sir Francis Drake. And so that's where the Drake's name kind of came from. Um, over time, the company changed a lot and eventually being sold to another party um, in 1998, at which time John Martin actually expressed interest in buying it, but wasn't able to and was able to finally buy it in 2008. And he's now the current owner, along with our other owner, Roy Krikorian. So these guys have had a long history in the craft brewing industry with Triple Rock and with other breweries. And I think it's it's well-positioned Drake's to kind of carry that Northern California beer movement forward to the next level where we are now. Um, now we're in an environment where there's a lot of upstarts. There's a lot of smaller places. These people are kind of trying to find their, their footing in this market. And it's in some ways, they, I guess it's to their benefit. They can look to some of the, the bigger breweries. We're one of the, the older ones, maybe not one of the bigger ones, but these regional breweries are kind of the other half to the, the upstart, the local breweries, which are playing a different but vital role too. Yeah. Thanks for walking us through that. I think it's really interesting to hear the origin story of a lot of these breweries, which are definitely now world famous. And there's sort of a sense of pride when you see that beer in another part of the country. It's, it's almost like your regional shield. You know, like this is this is where I'm from and this is, this is my beer. Um, why do you think that people connect so much with these local breweries like Drake's and with Drake's in particular? And why do you think the movement has taken off as much as it has? Well, I think people connect with their local brewery because they become kind of a part of that community. A smaller brewery, a brew pub might be a gathering place for people. Uh, but even a larger one, you get used to having that beer with your friends or what have you. I know you mentioned you're from Chico, yep. and Sierra Nevada was did really well with the school there. They had a lot of students that would come to school and then take that beer kind of back where they came from, yeah. and they were able to grow a lot that way. People kind of equated Sierra Nevada with that, you know, Chico or Northern California experience that they had while they were living there. And so, you know, when done well, I think a lot of these breweries are able to connect with the region they're in right and it it really kind of brings people back to that sense of community right right yeah there's there were definitely a lot of memories yeah (laughs) of (laughs) kegs of surrounded by kegs of sierra nevada but we won't go into that (laughs) so well you mentioned that one of the traditional beers that drake's produces is an IPA and IPAs are definitely a very common microbrewery production these days 
can you speak a little to why that is and why Northern California in particular is so um, perfect for creating great IPAs and pale ales, I guess, too? Yeah. Yeah. So our, our three flagship beers, I guess, are a pale ale, an IPA, and a double IPA. Northern California in particular has kind of become home to the hoppy beer. I think people enjoy that it has a lot of flavor without necessarily being as filling maybe as some of the darker styles of beer for warmer weather an IPA is kind of a good beer it's it can be refreshing mm-hmm. um, I think there's also some connection to the fact that this used to be a hop growing area northern California in particular with a lot of the consolidation and hop growing that stuff moved up more north to Washington northern Oregon but uh, traditionally, there was a lot of hops being grown in California. What was the first beer that Drake, what became Drake's Brewing Company produced, do you know? Our first batch. Mm-hmm. I believe the first batch in 1989 was the Sir Francis Drake Stout. Not a beer that we make anymore, but we do have a couple of stouts. So Interesting. trying to carry the mantle a little bit. So what goes into deciding what beer you produce with like the limited types of beers and the specialty beers? I imagine as head brewer, you get to decide what those will be. So what goes into what goes into that process? Well, we're lucky that we have, in addition to being a production brewery, a strong uh, retail outlet. So we're sitting here in our, uh, we call it the barrel house. It's our tasting room. Um, we get a lot of customers here. We also opened a beer garden in uptown Oakland called the dealership. And that gets a lot of business as well. So for us, we always have the opportunity to make kind of one-off batches for those outlets. So we have two brew houses. We've just gone through a big expansion over the last year. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a 20-barrel brew house and we have a 60-barrel brew house. So we're trying to increase our production a lot with the 60-barrel brew house. For the 20, though, it gives us an opportunity to do smaller batches of kind of limited release beers. We come on these ideas a lot of different ways. Uh, we're actually pretty good, I would say, in the industry for giving our whole staff kind of the opportunity to come up with ideas. So we've had a lot of brewers that come forward with an idea for this beer or that, and we usually let them do it. Mm-hmm. So we've had a, a lot of people have the opportunity to make their own beer and it's usually a one-off product. It is pretty it cool. Yeah. It is. It's a lot of fun, and it's and it's fun to see people kind of take a sense of ownership yeah. in that beer. It can get a little tiring sometimes because we're actually making pretty much a one-off batch for those retail outlets, a new one every week. Wow. And so to try and have one or two people writing those recipes, it gets maybe a little tiring. You start to kind of run thin on ideas, and to have the whole staff basically suggesting those ideas yeah. really gives a gives each beer its own kind of unique identity and so those ideas come from a lot of different places in my role I may or may not help refine some of those ideas some some are more thought out than others and then we get to serve those beers for a few weeks at the locations and see how people like them most of them stay one-offs we may dig them up a year later or something and try them again but every now and then we luck into something that people really like and start talking about making it maybe a limited seasonal release or something like that. Is there one beer in particular that stood out to you that started out as a limited release and then became more of a of a common? Um, Denogonizer is probably a good example. It's one of our flagship beers. It's our double IPA. And it started when there was an incident dry hopping the beer, um, which is where you add hops to the fermenter. Normally they're added during the kettle or traditionally with craft brewing. A lot more hops are being added to the fermenter. And there was an incident with the dry hopping and part of the tank had a lot of pressure behind it and it kind of launched this piece of the tank into the air and it nearly hit 
brewer in the head. Oh my God. And the other brewer said, dude, you almost got denogonized. <laughs> and so it took on the name, the denogonizer. That's perfect. Oh my God. That is so funny. And then it became a very popular, <laughs> yeah, like beloved beer. That's yeah. There's always so many like interesting names to a lot of the the beers that micro microbreweries produce. I think Drake's is definitely one of the most creative. Obviously, like Lagunitas comes up with really funny names. But that I think that's part of the charm of the lack of pretension when it yeah. comes to a lot of these microbreweries. Which is ironic because I think a lot of people think craft beer is snobby. But when you actually meet the people that make it and you see the people that drink it on site it's anything but snobby i mean it's such a it's such a pretty um in your face type of culture yeah i, I think people in this industry on the consumer side and the producer side are all uh, for the most part very friendly any any movement or any kind of collective is going to have its snobbier aspect and yeah. there's definitely some of that too but i think it's pretty minimal actually yeah yeah it's This is Rebecca Goberstein, and you're listening to Menu Stories, a podcast where we get to know the stories about the people and restaurants behind the food we love. We'll be right back with Chris Dunstan, head brewer at Drake's Brewing Company. We've been talking a lot about the landscape as a whole, so maybe we could get to know your story a little bit more. So, are you originally from California? Yeah, I grew up kind of in the Sierra foothills outside of Auburn, a town called Meadow Vista. So I went to Colfax High School and kind of grew up in that 80 corridor there in the in the Sierra foothills. This whole area and that area in particular is close to farming and fresh produce and food and good food. And you'd mentioned that you liked cooking when you were in college. What relationship do you see between the local food movement that is also happening in Northern California and the beer movement? I think there's a lot of crossover there and I think people take to craft beer for a lot of the same reasons that they take to kind of local food. People like knowing that their food was grown nearby, that they can go visit the farm. People like that their brewery is down the street. So I think being in California in an agricultural region, it has kind of set us up for both of those things. And that's kind of where wine came out of too, you know, especially when in Napa Valley, going back kind of to my childhood. So my dad was a big wine drinker and he would go to Napa and do wine tasting back when the winemaker was running the tasting room and, you know, things were a little different there than they are now. But you're out there and you're in the vineyard and you're talking to the winemaker and I think that's a lot of what people see in craft brewing now is that you can use local products. We use, you know, local produce in some of our fruit beers and that sort of thing. We use local honey for our honey wheat. And you can go visit the brewery and you can talk to the brewer and I think people enjoy that sense of community. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I agree. I think that's a big part of what draws people to eating from their own communities and drinking. <laughs> How did you fall into the brewing movement and how did you discover craft beer and um, craft beer as a career? Um, I kind of discovered craft beer in college as I kind of got closer to 21. I, my friends would... Did they make you say that? <laughs> no, saying. not at all, actually. Um, <laughs> but it, it was just sort of a sort of the way it was. I was raised in a family. We didn't have a lot of drinking, but my dad was into wine and it wasn't, it was just sort of a natural thing, you know? Mm-hmm. I wasn't really raised anywhere where there was my buddies and I didn't get drunk on the weekends and stuff. So, so I kind of came at it from a different perspective, I guess. But I, I got into it in college, just started 
trying different beers. I don't ever really remember kind of realizing that there was this world of craft beer out there. I just sort of thought, well, there's all different kinds of beers, and so I should just get to know them. And so I started trying different beers and pretty quickly started homebrewing. It was a time when I was learning to cook a lot as well, and I just took it kind of as an extension of cooking. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to learn to make my own food, and I'm getting into beer, and I'll just learn to make my own beer. And so my friend Brad and I started homebrewing in our apartment in uh, Isla Vista. We went to UC Santa Barbara and made some pretty awful beer, most of which we didn't end up drinking, (laughs) uh, but had a really good time doing it. And after graduation, didn't have a job lined up and wasn't really sure what I wanted to do and thought, well, you know, summer job at a brewery might be fun. I'll kind of get it out of my system. And (laughs) so I moved up to Fort Bragg and applied for a job at North Coast Brewing and had to hound them a little bit, but eventually kind of by the end of summer, got a job there and stuck with it, found that I really enjoyed it, Um, was given the opportunity to become a supervisor if I kind of wanted to stay. And that was the decision point of, well, do I want to just call this the end of the job and get out of here? Or do I want to take this to the next level? And so I decided to stay and did a couple of years there and just really enjoyed being in the industry and, and found that it was a good fit for me. What about the industry do you think really resonate with you? I think for me, I really like a lot of the people in the industry. It's a very collaborative industry. I got to know a lot of other brewers pretty quickly, actually, because I kind of fell onto the beer festival circuit at North Coast. So I would work at the brewery during the week and then especially during the summer on weekends there were a lot of beer festivals and uh, my friend Ken and I would travel to all these festivals and uh, you get to kind of know the people from the other breweries and talk to them about what it's like at their brewery and there's not a lot of people with secrets, you know, people will kind of tell you what's in their beer and what they're doing and if you stop in at another brewery, even unannounced, another brewer will show you around, give you a beer. So it's very collaborative and cooperative. There's definitely a competitive aspect to it and especially now as there's more and more breweries but but it's still a very kind of nurturing industry yeah it's kind of neat as a consumer to see that because you get to enjoy the collaborations and sort of these special one-offs that people or breweries will make together you mentioned it's a collaborative industry can you speak a little to some of the collaborations you've gotten to work on at drake's yeah, we, we've done a lot of collaborations here. We like to do them, especially for San Francisco Beer Week. We do collaborations for other beer weeks around the state. We'll collaborate with local breweries in that location. One of the more recent ones I guess I did was a collaboration with our sister brewery, Triple Rock. And so we did a beer pairing dinner at the dealership, our uptown beer garden and made a special beer for it and then got to pair each course with some different beers and kind of vote on who had the better pairings and the collaboration was fun the the brewer at triple rock jeff kimpy used to be a brewer down here and so i knew him pretty well and we came down and put together a rye pale ale and just went through the process of figuring out what hops did he want what what, what were my ideas and it's, it's nice when you go through that process and find that you're kind of on the same page you can come to a middle ground and figure out what you want and so I kind of jumped into the collaborative piece, but uh, just because I, I just find that so interesting that the industry is that way. It's just nice to see that sort of good sportsmanship. But what ended up taking you from working at North Coast Brewing Company and finding your way down here in the Bay Area with Drake's? Well, after doing a couple of years at North Coast, I got a little restless in Fort Bragg. I still liked the job, but it's a kind of small town. It's yeah. a little ways away from 
what I especially at the time would have considered, you know, civilization. <laughs> yeah. um, I was 23 or something and single. and Especially after Isla Vista. Yeah. And so I was looking for a change. And so I moved down to the Bay Area to Oakland, which was a big, big change for me, but a, a, a very good one. And it took me a couple months to find a job. And I ended up landing at uh, Moylan's Brew Pub up in Novato in Marin County and did a couple years there, which was a good experience because it was sort of the opposite end of the spectrum. You know, North Coast was doing about 60,000 barrels a year when I was there. And when I got to Moylan's, they were doing about 4,000. So I had that opportunity for the first time to sort of interact with the customers across the bar to see, you know, that new batch pale ale, how are people responding to it, that sort of thing. I didn't have a lot of creative influence there, but it was a nice chance to sort of see the other side of the business. Mm -hmm. And after a couple years there, was ready for a move to to a larger brewery. I kind of decided that was what I wanted to do, production brewing rather than a brew pub and ready for something a little closer to where I was living. So ended up getting the job here at Drake's Brewing back in 2011. What were you doing when you got here? I was hired as the morning brewer. So I came in at 6 a.m. and started up the first brew of the day. So to the layperson like myself, what <laughs> what goes into being a morning brewer versus is there an afternoon brewer? Every brewery does it differently. For us at the time, we had a morning brewer and an afternoon brewer and I guess the evening brewer. Mm-hmm. And so we each kind of followed our one brew through the process. I would come in and get it started and follow it through and then the next person would come in and get theirs started and eventually we kind of moved to a model of I would come in and start the first one and then I would start the second one and kind of multitask and then the evening person would come in and just pick up where I left off and that's a little more what we do now. For a period of time we had a graveyard shift so it was actually around the clock. You just come in, hand off to the next guy, you know, keep it rolling throughout the week but now we're kind of more on the model of doing a couple brews a day and uh, handing them off as they go. So what is what actually goes into that? What do you what happens when you start a brew? The process starts with mashing in. Um, so you'll add grain and water, and basically what you're trying to do is make sugar to feed the yeast. So you'll run off a kettle full of this what we call wort, unfermented beer, and that'll become a whole batch of beer. Depending on what size tank you're going to put it in, you can put multiple batches into one tank. So we do a lot of that. So after collecting this in the kettle, you boil it. That's where you have an opportunity to add hops. Then you chill it down, put it in the fermenter, and that's basically the end of your brew day. Yeast gets added to the fermenter, and it's the yeast that really does the work of converting that sugar into alcohol. And that'll occur over the process of a couple weeks. And that, like I said, that might be one batch from the kettle, or it might be a few batches from the kettle. That is so cool. So in any given day, are you kind of doing the same type of thing every day? Or are you like, are you working on one batch and just producing a whole new batch every single day typically? Or are you working on that process throughout like a week? Um, we generally will do about three batches a day. And for a lot of our tanks now, they're about four times the size of our kettle. So we might fill one in a day or maybe a day and a half. Throughout the week, we'll fill several tanks, and then it'll take a couple of weeks to come empty, and so a couple of weeks later, we'll kind of start the process over again with that tank. And as head brewer, what is your role in, in this whole process, and how much of it is actually being involved with the production and then recipe creation and the more creative side? My role is not very hands-on at this point. I don't pull a lot of brew shifts anymore. I used to, but... Probably, you probably enjoy that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I enjoy it, and that's why I got into it, but I also enjoy some of the organizations organization and and operations kind of stuff too so my role is more of a kind of I like to say that I work for the brewers if I'm doing my job then they can do theirs so 
making sure that recipes are set, making sure that materials are in place, making sure that people are trained, making sure that utilities are working. It's kind of across the board. It's a wear a lot of hats kind of job. Yeah. What's your advice to anybody who might be, because there's a lot of people out there that enjoy home brewing. And we actually featured Old Bus Tavern, which is a, a small restaurant microbrewery in San Francisco. And they also got started as home brewers. What's your advice uh, as somebody who's really found their way through the industry and is working for a very well-known microbrewery? What's your advice for people who might be brewing at home and are thinking about getting into the industry? I guess my advice would be to spend some time working in a brewery, maybe more than you might think. I've seen a lot of people go into a brewery and maybe work for six months or a year and then start their own. And I don't know, maybe that's not good advice because we're in a time when so many breweries are opening. Maybe you can get away with that. But I do feel like a lot of places start with not a lot of experience in brewing. And I guess if you're looking at it from the business side, maybe you can always kind of hire for that later. But the kind of knowledge of the craft is something that takes a long time to develop. It's something that all of us here are still working on, even after as many years as we've been at it. And I think some people tend to rush in. So I guess I would say spend the time to learn a lot about brewing and kind of see multiple sides of the industry. And then my other advice would be, I think a lot of people try to start breweries because they like brewing. And it's the same as any business. It's a business. So if if you start a brewery, you're going to be a business person. Right. Yeah, that happens a lot, I think. So what's been the most challenging thing about your role here? I think the most challenging thing is just keeping all the balls in the air at once. There's a lot going on here. My role has been fairly technical in the past, but it's kind of moving towards doing a lot more personnel management. That stuff gets kind of tricky when you're dealing with a lot of personalities and trying to figure out who's working with who and what the shifts are. And it has to do with people's home lives and all this stuff. And so that's been kind of a challenge for me working with that at the same time that I'm also trying to, you know, make sure equipment's running or make sure that parts of the expansion are proceeding the way they need to or what have you. So what's been the most rewarding thing about what you've been able to do here and how far you've come in the brewing industry? The most rewarding thing, I guess, is just having all of the experiences I've had with the people that I've been able to meet. It's kind of why I got into it, the collaborative nature and getting to know a lot of cool people. And for me, that's the most rewarding part. Most of my friends now are friends I've met through beer, whether it's professional brewers or beer drinkers or whoever it might be. I've made a lot of, you know, hopefully lifelong friends as a result of being in the beer industry or just in the beer community so that's been very rewarding for me and and those people oftentimes come from other backgrounds I have a lot of friends who are in tech or bio or something like that who are big beer drinkers and so you get to know people kind of from all walks of life that's probably been the most rewarding part what are you looking forward to next what's sort of like the next challenge well I mentioned we just went through this big expansion that's been a big challenge for the last year is keeping everything on track and and so now we're producing beer on our on our new brew house. I think the challenge kind of for the next year is going to be growing into that new size, trying to figure out how to be a little bit more mature of a brewery without losing our fun edge. You know, uh, we need to work on some process and getting things organized a little bit. And so I think that's kind of my big challenge for the next year. Well, cool. We can't wait to see what more beer we can try from Drake Spring Company. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. You can enjoy Drake's beer fresh off the tap at their brewery tap room, Drake's Barrel House, and at their new beer garden, Drake's Dealership in Oakland, California. Subscribe to Menu Stories on menustories.com so you can get the next episode delivered to your inbox. You can listen on our website, 
iTunes, and SoundCloud. And be sure to find us on Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, and Instagram. This episode was produced and photographed by yours truly. And special thanks to Menu Stories videographer Patrick Wong, who produced all of the behind-the-scenes footage for this episode. You can watch it on Vimeo and on MenuStories.com. I'm your host, Rebecca Goberstein, and until next time, happy eating. Happy eating.